0: as Colin mentioned, we have two readings this morning from John. So we're starting in chapter 14. Uh, The reading begins verse 15. So that's John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Then the second reading is from John chapter 16, beginning at verse 5. John 16, verse 5. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you.
1: Thanks, Emily. Well, have you ever been in one of those situations where perhaps a a wedding or a party or something or maybe even a morning tea after church, you've just been chatting with someone for a while and then somebody else comes and joins the conversation in such a way that you ought to introduce your new acquaintance and it suddenly becomes painfully obvious that you haven't been paying enough attention and you can't remember the name. Was it, was it Simon? Or was it Peter? Uh, uh, Simon Peter, Simon e- And he's an engineer. No, he's a rocket scientist. He was a brain surgeon. No. Uh, this is Spymanita, Sp- and he's a rocket surgeon. Well, what if somebody asked you to introduce them to the Holy Spirit? What would you say? I think most of us can be a bit wobbly, a bit unsure. Now let's all admit it. We've struggled with knowing what to call Irene and Naomi at times, haven't we? <laughs> and Ethan and uh, Nathan or Ethan. So if you listen to recording, they're identical twins. What well, do you know? Even know what to call the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a He or an It? Or I think um, there was a book and a film called The Shack that was popular a while ago. Don't read it. Um, they said the Holy Spirit was a she. Well, we're spending just a couple of weeks having a really brief introduction to the Holy Spirit. Um, so I hope by the end of these two talks, we'll be a little more sure-footed in what we know about him. And we've had our first answer already. The Holy Spirit is a he. He. There you go, doing well. Not past the introduction and we've already got something. The Holy Spirit is a he. He does personal and relational things. Teaches, reminds, speaks, makes decisions. He can be grieved, he can be outraged, he can be lied to. He he forbids things, he searches, he comprehends, he gives gifts, he helps, he witnesses, and he declares. All things the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. And none of that sounds like the actions of a sort of impersonal energy or force, do they? It sound like a person. So there, the Holy Spirit's a he with a personhood. Now, we can't cover everything the Bible's got to say about the Holy Spirit in two, two weeks. But we can make this like brief introduction. But it's worth just checking ourselves. What do you think of? Not necessarily the Holy Spirit, but when I say the word spirit... What do you think of? Because it's important to know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, what we'll do is import any ideas we have um, about what a spirit is and does. We'll we'll bring in any hard-to-explain experiences that we've had and ascribe that to God's Spirit. But what's better to do is get the Holy Spirit's own take on Himself from the words in the Bible that He inspired. So that's what I'm trying to do here. And the best place to start will be with the one who knows him best, Jesus. So, as we dive into John 14 here, the disciples have got a problem. Philip has been asking Jesus to show them the Father, show us God. And Jesus has replied that if they know Jesus, they know the Father, because Jesus perfectly represents the Father speaking his words. But the trouble is, Jesus has also told them that he's about to go away, going back to the Father. How will they know Jesus and how will they know God the Father when Jesus is resurrected and ascended and no longer physically present with them? That's the question hanging over John 14. How are they going to know Jesus and the Father once he's gone? So let's just press pause on John's gospel and bring us up to speed on the story so far for the Holy Spirit. To help us understand the impact of what Jesus goes on to say. So there's an outline there on the leaflets. He's an old friend. And then we'll look at who he is and what he does. So our first point, an old friend. Because the Holy Spirit's not an invention for the New Testament. He's been, been there from the very beginning of the Bible. So in active in creation, Genesis 1, he's hovering over the waters. Um, with Moses and the Exodus people in the wilderness, hovering like an eagle. Is attributed to working in specific people, uh, such as Joseph and Daniel, to make them good blokes. Um, He inspired the designers of the tabernacle tabernacle tent. And we could spend weeks looking at the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament does look forward to a new age where the Holy Spirit will be experienced more fully. And that this is somehow related to the promised Messiah, God's God's, um, saviour king. So, for example, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to a spirit king whose kingly character would be the work of the spirit. Um, A king with, Isaiah 11.2, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So spirit king. Isaiah also looks forward to a spirit servant, whose ministry requires uh, suffering, personal rejection and sorrow. So Isaiah 42, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So spirit king, spirit servant, and Isaiah speaks of a spirit prophet, who will say, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So a spirit king, a spirit servant, spirit prophet. All that associated with this new movement of the spirit. And the Old Testament prophets also look forward to God's people being filled with the Holy Spirit in a way they hadn't before. So there's a few examples. Well, this one's from Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So that as we get to the New Testament, that's the sort of holy spirit story we're carrying forwards fast forward then to jesus and god's people are waiting for for someone to bring in this new age with a, a righteous king a sacrificial servant and a prophet of good news and jesus fulfills all three of those but what about that spirit people bit it was all being inspired by god giving new hearts and all that stuff how will that promise be fulfilled well, this is what Jesus tells his disciples in our first passage from chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Um, Now you could, if you were, some people argue, oh, he's just talking to the disciples. That's not, this is just for the disciples. That's not true. Back in chapter 7, John has already said of the Spirit that he is he whom those who believed in Jesus were later to receive. So this, receiving the Spirit is for all believers, not just the disciples. So think of the Spirit's work up to this point as like an engagement. So if a couple are engaged, you know, the relationship is real. Um, And being engaged makes a difference to their lives. But once they're married, uh, spending all of life together, things are at a whole newer level, aren't they? So the same Holy Spirit who was there at creation, who's been active in the history of God's people, the same Spirit who lived in Jesus, has come to live with you and be in you. And I just want to point out how unique this is to Christianity. Christianity alone claims that salvation comes in a real historical person through events played out in verified, recorded history. And Christianity alone is not about doing something to get to God, but about what has been done for us. Because we, humanity in general, we like to tell ourselves a sort of a Wizard of Oz story, that even if we do go on a quest to get an external answer to our problems, actually, we'll find the answer within ourselves. You know, that's the story of The Wizard of Oz and countless other stories. But it failed, that idea fails to take into account all of human history, doesn't it? That actually what we find in ourselves is not the solution, but the problem. And so... We search for external resources to sort of bring into ourselves philosophies, attitudes, relationships to kind of fix and complete what we intuitively know is wrong with us. Try and bring in stuff from the outside. But if you're a Christian, you don't need to uh, import anything else to make you right with God. God's Holy Spirit living in us, testifies, brings home, makes real to us Jesus, assures us of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit living in us transforms us from the inside out, helping us to become more like Jesus, uh, giving us what we need to do the good works God's prepared for us in response to his saving us. So we don't need to import anything. We have the Holy Spirit. So that's our old friend, the Holy Spirit. Now let's have a look at who he is. Just who exactly is the Holy Spirit? What does Jesus reveal about him? I don't know if you notice, when we're looking through those passages, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're very distinct. But if we're honest, they also seem a bit blurry as well, don't they? Because Jesus has said, He himself is going away, but will verse 16, ask the Father for another advocate. And we'll look at what advocate means in a minute. But another here, another advocate, another means another one like me. So in other words, the Spirit is going to come and help them instead of Jesus. So we can't say that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same person, same being, but not the same person, Yet, yeah, verse 18, Jesus says, I will come to you. But he's just said he's been going kind to of send this bit. Now he's saying, I will come to you. And verse 19, you will see me. And from the context of not leaving his disciples as orphans, so he's not talking about his resurrection appearances or the second coming. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. So distinct but blurry as well. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is the means by which the Father and the Son will be present with the disciples, with us. So how do we unravel this blurriness and distinctiveness? Well, if we look at Jesus' life and mission, it makes a bit more sense. It shows us that although the Father and the Son and Spirit are one being but distinct persons. They're all involved together. So Jesus was the clearest revelation of the Father. Jesus said earlier in chapter 14, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words I say to you do not speak on my own authority, rather it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. So to know Jesus is to know the Father. Everything Jesus was and did on earth came from the Father through the Spirit. So Jesus is a spirit man from womb to tomb and beyond. There was never a moment when Jesus wasn't a man of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit conceived him. And his whole life involves the Spirit. The Spirit anoints him at his baptism. The Spirit sends him to be tempted into the wilderness he returns in the power of the Spirit. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In Hebrews, we read Jesus offered himself to God through the Spirit. And in 1 Peter, we read that the Spirit was who raised Jesus from the dead. So you with me so far? <laughs> Blurry and distinctive. Hard, isn't it? But I've got a diagram. Now, health warning. Anyone ever shows you a diagram that claims to explain the Trinity something about it will be wrong. All right, okay, it's too much to get in one diagram. But this, this diagram will just help us understand our experience of the Spirit, okay? So there should be a diagram, thanks. So bear with me. Um, this is from this book, In the Light of the Sun by Andrew Moody. Really good sort of introduction to the Trinity, In the Light of the Sun by Andrew Moody. So think of a movie film in a projector. The film contains a story, but we can only see that story um, when a powerful globe in the projector sends out rays of light to make that story visible. So if you think of Jesus' life as the role of film, the Father as the globe that generates the light, and the Spirit as the rays of light, when we look at Jesus and see the story of his life well then we're also seeing as we look at Jesus we're also seeing the father and the spirit likewise as the spirit lives in us we experience the father and the son being with us so the spirit is the one who gives life to Jesus both as a baby is and in his conception and at his resurrection The Spirit is the one who goes between the Father and Christ, enabling his constant communication with the Father. And the Spirit is the dynamic power who brings the story of Jesus to its fulfillment. But the Spirit doesn't stop there. He goes on from giving Jesus new life to giving us that new life. Which brings us to our third heading what he does. What does the Holy Spirit do? Excuse me. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, verse 16, as another advocate. So this is the Greek word here. If you want to practice your ancient Greek, we've got a slide, I think, Robert. Parakletos and it's related to another verb another doing word which means encourage so it has the sense of one who draws alongside or a helper it can also refer to legal advisers a counselor or as we have here an advocate so it's like uh, having the top barrister come to defend your case so really that word carries all of those meanings. All of the, all of the above describe the work of a Holy Spirit. But let's just stick with the legal idea for a minute. First of all, the Spirit acts in our defense. In our defense. Notice Jesus said, another advocate, as in another of the same type as me. In other words, the Holy Spirit subs in for Jesus. More than that, Jesus tells us we're better off with the Holy Spirit, um, in our second passage um, from chapter 16, verse 7, 16, sorry, verse 7. But truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So just imagine being one of the disciples hearing this. You know, you've been, you've had Jesus right with you nearly all the time for about three years. Any worries, any deep theological questions, any advice on how to behave, any wisdom you needed. He was right there. you would be like, I'd rather you stay actually, I'll take my chances. I mean, aren't you a bit jealous of the disciples? They got to hang out with Jesus in person. Wouldn't you love to do that? Yet Jesus says we're better off with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, because through him, he can be with us and be in us all the time, forever, whatever's going on. Some of the things that the Holy Spirit does are things that Jesus did on earth. So verse 15, verse 16, he helps us. Verse 18, he stays with us. Verse 26, he teaches us all things. Uh, He reminds us of everything Jesus has said. And chapter 16, verse 13, he guides us into truth. And he will tell the disciples what is yet to come. Uh, He did that, and now we have that as the New Testament. So the Spirit is with us and in us to help us forever. That's the promise. This is who came to you on the first day you believed, and he hasn't left you since. And he never will. He's your defense. But how did you ever come to believe in the first place? Well, that's because the Holy Spirit also acts as defense, but he also acts as prosecution. He convicts us of our sin to bring us to Christ. So chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. When he comes... He will provide the wo- prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In other words, whilst we are too blind to see in the midst of our prideful rebellion against God, the Holy Spirit is humanity's prosecutor. Working in heart after heart the verdict I was wrong, I'm guilty, I need forgiveness. So the Holy Spirit is our defence, he's our prosecutor, so that we know that we need forgiveness and got turn to Jesus for it. Finally, the Holy Spirit's primary role is as a witness. Defense, prosecution, witness. Uh, In a way, it's not surprising that we, on the whole, we feel less sure we know the Spirit than we do the Father and the Son. I think most Christians would say that. But that's not surprising. And it might even be a good thing. Because the Holy Spirit's primary role is to bear witness to Jesus, that's his unique ministry. The Holy Spirit's unique ministry is not, as a lot of people think, giving gifts. The same gifts the Holy Spirit gives are also attributed to the Father in Romans 12 and to the risen Son in Ephesians 4. The Holy Spirit's primary role is to bear witness to Jesus. So John 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Chapter 16, verse 13. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So the Holy Spirit is only interested in Jesus' agenda, in passing on what Jesus gives him, who in turn received from the Father all that belongs to him. So we've got the privilege of being caught up in this beautiful other-person-centered relationship that God exists in. God in his very nature is other-person-centered. Each part of the Trinity given to the other. So to go back to the projector analogy, again, don't trust diagrams, but if it's helpful. It's as if the rays of light, the spirit that came from the Father, the light source, and shine through Jesus, are now using us as a screen. So in this cinema image, we're the screen. Uh, Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit using us as a screen so that we begin to know and to look like Jesus shining his light into our lives. So the Spirit's message is never, look at me, look what I can do. Listen to me, get to know me. The Spirit's message is always, look at Jesus. See his glory. Listen to him. And taste God's gracious gift of everlasting joy and peace. You know, some evangelistic courses um, have a, a Holy Spirit weekend where you're supposed to go away and have some experience of the Holy Spirit. I reckon if the Holy Spirit was running an evangelistic course, it'd ditch the Holy Spirit weekend and have a Jesus weekend. He probably wouldn't even have a session dedicated to himself. He'd rather us be talking about Jesus and glorifying him. So if someone came looking for a church that was big on the Holy Spirit, um, and we have on occasion have people turn up saying, I'm looking for something more spirit-filled. Well, the real test of how big on the Holy Spirit a church is and how spirit-filled it is, is to the extent to which we're on about Jesus. That's the real test of a spirit-filled church, the extent to which we're on about Jesus. Just one final point about the witness of the Holy Spirit. We're in a privileged point of history where the spirit of truth has had that truth about Jesus, the reminders of the things he said and what is yet to come. He's had all that written down for us in the scriptures. So we can pick up that witness at any time we want and expect the Spirit to speak to us through them. So to finish, just some applications. What do we, what do, we do with all this information about who the Spirit is and what He does? Well, we can be sure-footed. You know, the Holy Spirit is a He. He is fully God. He is one of the three persons of the Trinity. But if you are a bit fuzzy about him, well, he's probably pleased, as long as it's because you're focused on Jesus instead, because that's who the Holy Spirit is on about. Um, Second, should we pray to the Holy Spirit? It's not wrong. He is God. But Jesus, the man who did everything through the Spirit, he t- Jesus told us to pray to the Father. Uh, and when we do that, it bears witness to what Jesus has done. And as we've said, that G- Jesus is what the Holy Spirit is all about. So we'll pray to the Father, not because it's right or wrong, just because it's what Jesus did. And thirdly, be encouraged. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus says you're better off with the Holy Spirit than if he was physically in person in this room right now. Better off with the Holy Spirit. So trust him. Trust him to help you. Trust him to uh, give you courage and the right words to say when you're witnessing about him. Take comfort about him from him. You have him on your side. You've got the world's top barrister as your defense lawyer in life you're never alone and finally keep reading his witness that he's had written down for us in the bible trusting him to illuminate and bring home and bring to life those words in your life, in your heart in, in life changing ways That's our brief introduction to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that um, you're not just some out there being that we can't know, an impersonal force, but you are knowable uh, and you love us and you are in us and with us all the time by your Spirit. Lord, we long to grow in our godliness. We long to growing our witness of you and bring others to know you. We long to grow as your church, to bring you glory. And we thank you that we have your spirit in us to be our advocate, to be our helper, to be our encourager, to empower us to do all those things that we can't do in our own strength. And so as please lead us by your spirit to just keep loving and glorifying Jesus. Amen.